0: Entering the year 2022, the conversations about the metaverse are exploding with excitement. For example, the rebranding of Facebook to Meta shows the direction of the world's largest social network. In addition, Microsoft's recent $68.7 billion bid for Activision Blizzard illustrates how the world's largest software company views gaming as vital in developing metaverse platforms. Although we can see the significant size and scale of investment in this emerging universe, We're left with many questions. How will brands market themselves in a multidimensional future? How will the metaverse connect or collide with real world? And what role does cryptocurrency play in future economic models created for the metaverse? Our guests on this episode are Veranda Tantula and Michael Pollier, the co-founders of Potion Project, a consulting firm working with brands, artists, and entrepreneurs. To develop and execute strategies that will connect with users in this new environment their extensive experience in music gaming esports film and entertainment has given them a front row seat in the evolution and integration of in real life experience with the virtual world michael veranda welcome to our podcast series
1: this is a long time coming john
0: i want to talk about your current venture But I'd like to take a little bit of a step back and if each of you, and let's begin with you, Veranda, tell us a little bit about your background, what you're bringing to this new venture, Potion Projects, and we could talk about how that sort of flows into the markets that you're going after in terms of this business.
1: Awesome. As far back as when I was five years old, I think I I haven't been able to articulate it this way until recently, but I think I've been a student of contemporary culture since I was a, a kid. And I was never just a fan of one vertical, right? I was never just a fan of music or just a fan of art. I was always a big fan of all the verticals of culture. So fashion, art, music, you know, video games, etc. cetera. And so that was a, a big passion of mine all through, you know, high school. I was always sort of in, involved in a lot of creative projects, Was in a couple garage bands. I grew up in D.C., moved to the West Coast, went to USC, where funny enough, I studied economics, but I ended up being really involved in programs such as like the college radio station and events with program board and things like that. And that's kind of where I started scratching kind of this itch for sort of entrepreneurship. My first job out of school was actually at Paramount Pictures, mm-hmm. where I actually met you right. back in sort of the physical home media days. It was a really exciting time where we saw like a lot of digital kind of medium start to become a thing, you know, VOD, etc. I really got to be a spectator to sort of how large scale IP is developed across brands like Transformers, MTV, or the first several Marvel movies. Our friend group kind of got together and under a brand called Track, like F-O-U-N-D, like soundtrack with an F, we created a monthly music compilation series. And we were part of this scene in LA in like the mid 2000s where we're sort of blogging culture like IRL in real life, contemporary culture, were starting to collide, right? The music scene, the art scene, you were finally able to sort of like share things as simple and rudimentary as like photos in an easy way online, you know, working with a lot of cool artists, eventually brands saw that there was a lot of opportunity kind of engaging with audiences on a, a much more micro level in direct ways. The early days of what would become sort of influencer marketing lifestyle marketing, things like that. And we had a lot of cool clients there. We, we got to work with Puma and Smart Water, Standard Hotels. One of our clients was a company called Riot Games, which many of you might know their flagship kind of game and IP League of Legends. And we had a thesis that folks that game like gaming was like a core part of their lives. And we wanted to figure out ways to help them engage with this thing that they loved. So we brought the IP of League of Legends to life. We had universal languages such as music, apparel, live events and experience, content, etc. So I was over there at Riot for about seven years working and and kind of leading a lot of creative efforts in, in that space. It was a really magical time. We got to do everything from, you know creative directing, kind of opening ceremonies for their large kind of world finals and playing with technology like broadcast AR, where we were able to, you know, land a a virtual dragon in in the Beijing National Stadium. We got to play with holograms. We developed original music and collaborated with a lot of artists. And we even developed our own virtual artists. And then finally, that leads us to now, six months ago, Michael and I, we'd been threatening each other for years to uh, start a venture together you know i think our skills kind of complement each other and
2: that's how we got to um potion so here's my story i started the first chapter of my career i was a union assistant editor on feature films and i was a lead editor on music videos and commercials and things like that and i i worked primarily with john favreau's crew under dan leventhal and so i worked on the iron man movies and uh couples retreat and cowboys and aliens and a bunch of other stuff vince bond projects and mike myers and but I just couldn't shake the entrepreneurial bug. And so starting as soon as uh, you know a high school senior and, and freshman in college, I started my first business, which was a small biodiesel business. We were the first company to ever collect waste grease from McDonald's and turn it into biofuel. And then fast forward years later, you know having created some small production companies and things like that, and I built the post-production department at uh, Pop Sugar Studios. And then I left Pop sugar once we got them to television to create a tech startup called the foodexchange.com which was an online B2B marketplace for the wholesale food industry. And I ran that for about five years and then exited that to focus a little bit more on my consulting business. And so about 10 years ago, I was getting a lot more involved with a charity that I was volunteering with ever since I was a teenager called Vista Del Mar Child and Family Services here in Los Angeles. And they wanted to collaborate with me to create a next gen board. And so literally the first phone call I made was to Veranda. I said, Hey, I'm doing this, and uh, you're you're my first call. What do you say? He's like rock and roll. Let's do it. Uh. I think John. The lesson here was that like um,
1: I think we really learned, and we were lucky to be able to learn that we're very compatible with working with each other and complementary in, in terms of like what our skill sets are.
0: And that brings you together into this new venture, which is Potion Projects. And I'm going to read some of the literature you sent me. And I found this interesting. We work with brands, artists, and entrepreneurs to create experiences at the intersection of contemporary culture and the virtual world. Veranda, you know, I'm I'm struck by what you spoke about earlier, which is scratching the itch of being involved in music and then film and then television and then broadcast and, and pulling all of that together so that elements... From each come together somewhat seamlessly, and I, I, I kind of got that sense that that's what you're really looking to do with this organization is to help companies do that.
1: Absolutely, you nailed it there. Potion's focus is at that intersection point, right? The intersection point between contemporary culture, i.e., IRL in real life culture, mm-hmm. and the virtual world, right? So we define kind of contemporary culture as you know art, music, fashion etc. And the virtual world as gaming, metaverse, and Web3, you know, Web3, blockchain, you know, whatever you want to call it. Sure. I think that for us, like, we really believe that the sweet spot for all of this innovation that's happening is at that intersection point. I personally believe that we're far from like a fully virtual existence. I think a lot of things need to happen before that that becomes sort of reality. and right. But I think that the long and short of it is this, is like people need other people. like Humans need other pe- other humans, right? You need community. It, it, it's like wired into us. And what's funny is in many ways, even as we spend more time in a virtual world, ultimately a lot of that time we're spending is with other people, right? So gaming is where a lot of the innovation in the virtual world has happened, if not, all or a majority of it has happened via gaming.
0: I get your perspective. I think that one of the things that I'm seeing though that you guys bring to the party yeah. so to speak is that as this evolves as and even today in with a lot of companies who truly don't get and an understand the importance of that integration of contemporary culture into their messaging into the way they they' they're seen or viewed and engaged with a client, people have very little tolerance for clunkiness today and, <laughs> yes. and it either it either resonates or it doesn't i
1: think uh, john what you're saying is the the low tolerance that audiences have mm-hmm. that is that's something that's true of kind of all digital and kind of internet audiences these days and once again i think it's something that was born out of like gaming audiences we often tell brands that you know the digital audience the gaming audience is the hardest audience to bs they will call you out on things as soon as possible increasingly people don't want to be marketed to or at like advertised to, right. They want to like be part of an experience. They want experiences with brands to seamlessly kind of be parts of their lives. And I think that brands that can embrace the concept of being like patrons of the arts, you go back to sort of like the Renaissance, right there, there was the patrons of the arts. I think brands have the opportunities to be the patrons of the arts these days, to fund the arts, to fund, the ways people kind of get added value from products in their day-to-day lives. And I think that the more that brands can think like that, the more success they can have. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have goals, CTAs that traditional media buys are not important, but I think they should really like point at like, how do we add value to people's sort of day-to-day lives versus just kind of hawking things to them. Sure, Mike, I don't know if you want to add to
2: that. Yeah. I mean, such a big topic. Some of this is being driven by the emergence of new technology, and it's coming into line with overarching goals that so many of these large companies already have. How to cultivate more community, how to create products that are more in line with what their customers want, Um, how to market to their audiences in new and innovative ways. I mean, the list goes on. And so with the emergence of new technologies, it's often a head scratch where, all right, what does this mean for us? And how does this translate into our business model? So, we get a lot of these questions, whether an artist is a good match for a certain NFT project, and then the branching factor from there is quite vast. John, at
1: the end of the day, like what we're able to help kind of brands do is figure out authentic ways for them to express their brand via the right technology. You still need to have like a core understanding of like what is your goal, right like who's your demographic? From there, like, because I I think constraints are really important for like, for marketing folks and creative folks. From there, it's like, okay, we have these five different technological options or approaches for marketing a thing. Or culturally, you know, this feels like a music play, right? Or this is probably a visual play, this is a fashion play. And I think that. From there, one can identify like not only like what the exec- the, the right execution to communicate with your audiences and to kind of add value to their lives, but also potentially to think about what kind of partners to bring in. That's another thing that I believe that like brands that are more open to doing partnerships, there's a lot of opportunity there because audience members are huge, huge fans of like collabos if they're done right. Sure. What you're doing there is not only like creating something new, but you're also now leveraging ideally like up to double the audience
0: it's that so unique that just think who would have thought in the more traditional media martha stewart and snoop getting together exactly and and all of a sudden you're mixing (laughs) apples and oranges and you're coming out with a whole new fruit i also just reflected on the the pepsi commercial was the sort of the counter you know i'll take a diet coke gee all we have is pepsi Oh sorry, but no, Pepsi wants you to believe that it's good that you love Pepsi. So who do they get? They get all sorts of celebrities that come on and talk about how they love it. So they don't feel alone.
1: At the end of the day, like people want to associate themselves with a brand that they think is cool. Right. Like that's ultimately what it is. And everything that you one consumes or or one is being marketed, it's really like you're, you're selling the story. What is a product ultimately?
2: And that's um, part of why it's so important for us with our clients and in the work that we do to whatever the project is, to make sure that it's aligned with overarching goals for the company so that we can make sure that it's integrated with those business goals while at the same time doing just the highest level creative project we can do. Yeah, it's finding the right balance, right? It's like it's having the right framework for like, okay,
1: what are your, what are your goals and like what are we ultimately trying to accomplish? But leaving enough room for sometimes a thing is just dope for the sake of being dope, right? It's cool for the sake of being cool. Now, is it completely left field and has nothing to do with your goals? I'm not saying don't do that, but like sometimes you just need to take a chance on like something being cool for the sake of cool. And as long as it kind of like ties to your brand in a in a way that makes sense, that's awesome.
0: Sure. And then also, um, what Michael you're pointing out is that you want to be able to model your ideas in such a way that you can demonstrate that they align with the ultimate goals of the client whether that's from a number standpoint that it or that what you're pitching essentially aligns with the values or the interests of the company
2: yeah that's important to us especially so that the client understands that we're looking at it from that big picture perspective right that way they feel a lot more comfortable you know injecting us into a wild and crazy creative project because they know that we're going to have that holistic viewpoint and I I'd say that that's powerful
0: one of the things that I find amazing and I I just don't think a lot of people understand the size of the digital marketplace and when I say the digital market it's more or less the digital universe you you talked in some of the briefs that you sent me that you were talking to startups production companies uh, play to earn gaming blockchain esports and and I looked up esports just to see the size of the marketplace and globally, there are 250 million eSports enthusiasts. This is some recent numbers that I read. And then there's 84 million viewers of eSports. and one article pointed out that that's higher than the average number of major League baseball viewers and, yep. and NBA viewers. So the size and scale of the markets that you're focused on are enormous. and I just think that's lost on a lot of people.
1: John, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about sort of like innovation kind of happening in the gaming space. I'm going to say something pretty blunt here. I I believe like any uh, sort of consumer products brand or service brand that has any interest in sort of a demographic that's in their teens to 40s that doesn't have a, a gaming strategy or at least aren't thinking about it, they're out of their minds. I'm not saying it's easy, right? And I'm not saying that all of them need to have deep expertise. That's where folks like, ourselves and uh, numerous other kind of partners and like help with at this point like gaming is literally just part of culture it's the same thing as like music art fashion whatever it's just part of people's daily lives i'd say that the reason for that is i also believe that the term gaming has almost become too wide where a lot of what is being classified as gaming is not your traditional like your first person shooter your your action game sure there's a lot of those and it's a huge part of the market, but half of gaming these days is actually just kind of hanging out, right? Like when you're playing Fortnite, yeah, you play, but you're also like joking around, you're talking to your friends, you're in the lobby. Every one of my friends' kids is playing Roblox. And a lot of what that is, is like building kind of like a epic playground and playing with your friends and hanging with your friends, right? So I think that gaming is the best word that we have for what's happening right now, but it's not necessarily always what's happening. I think that it's just, whether a brand has a gaming strategy or a how to engage with people's virtual lives or digital lives strategy. I think that's super important.
2: Just to your point about gaming being used to broadly, it's almost as if metaverse is being used to narrowly, uh, although like it's becoming a buzzword that we don't love. You're like so on. uh, Actually, I'm I'm
1: getting excited here because Mike and I have, I promise, like we've never used this talk track before. Like I just sparked the thing in my head. Yeah, I think gaming is too wide and I think metaverse is too narrow. I think that people like are, John, you mentioned the Facebook announcement earlier of their rebrand and everything. I think that a lot of younger people or people that are deep in the space, to be honest, there was a lot of really funny memes that came out of it. There was a lot of making fun of it. But for, you know, half the planet, they probably did like the best job of explaining kind of what a metaverse was or what it could be. And so, like, the metaverse is actually, it's actually multiple metaverses. It's like it's multiple kind of collisions of the virtual world and, and the real world. It, it's multiple types of executions.
2: It's and you AR. just hit the nail on the head there about it, the, 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 yeah. the, that, that kind of convergence point, because it's not just in the computer. It's not just yeah. on the screen. It's very much outside of that. And it's via, you have a lot of experience at that kind of, like, juncture. Yeah, it's, it's
1: like, you know, I'm, if anything, if there's a technology I'm like super kind of bullish on, it's like, you know, AR and XR. Right. Like we had the the amazing fortune of being able to do some early kind of innovation in the space. When I was at Riot working with the esports team over there, they've done some of the, the coolest stuff there. I think that in some ways COVID, right, and lockdown and everything kind of forced us all a little bit more deeply into like our unique solo kind of virtual world experiences. But I think right before that we were about to kind of hit this explosion point of the collision of real life and digital, right? Like I think live experience was about to change significantly. I still think it is. And it's now the world's starting to open back up and that's starting to happen. We're a little bit far away from virtual reality becoming a massive, massive kind of daily thing. Once again, until wearables are much smaller or almost non-existent. Having said that, I think that like, AR and sort of XR, like, you know, overlays, heads up displays, like extension, digital extensions of physical structures and things. I yep. think that's going to become a much bigger thing over the next the next several
0: years. One of the things we talk a lot about virtual reality here in the market, but the presence of augmented reality within yep. the context of marketing, I think sort of stumbled along for a few years and is now starting to find some footing and I think can be integrated to make that, that connection between... Real life experience and virtual experience.
1: A bunch of us at Riot were really passionate about the concept of like bringing, of like turning some of our characters in the game into like virtual artists. So you've heard of the concept of a skin, right? Yeah, like a, sure. Sort of like a yeah a cosmetic or sort of alternate ID for a character. We took four of our characters and we turned them into a pop group that was sort of inspired by K-pop, global pop, etc. We developed a a really awesome song for it. We really believed that none of the trimmings, none of the production value or technology would matter unless the core asset was good. And we got some amazing real life featured artists in it. And then we sort of developed the the looks of the characters, the the backstories. We, you know, not only developed music, but an awesome music video. And then we debuted the whole thing live um, at the world championship for League of Legends in 2018 in Korea. And we debuted the whole thing with a performance that was a broadcast live performance, much like, you know, a Super Bowl halftime show. But several of the camera systems we use could also pick up AR, like AR characters that weren't actually there, but it did so in real time. So if you look up 2018 League of Legends opening ceremony, you can watch that. And that really kind of like, I think at the time, really pushed the bar for kind of what or what virtual artists had done. And so that, to me, is like an example of that's a metaverse execution. It's sort of this this collision point of the virtual and and the real.
0: All right. So there's all this content. We have gamers that are logging on and they're playing. But there's also play-to-earn games. And what I found fascinating about this is, is that the beginning of an economic model yeah that lets players, let's say, even use cryptocurrency and digital and so at some point, and I guess this is where um maybe some of your clients who are trying to sell something will consumers one day be purchasing through the metaverse and getting physical oh. products
1: oh, totally so it, it once again, that's an example of of collision of worlds, right? i'm gonna I want Michael to chime in a bit too in a moment because this is a huge passion space for him. Play to earn, right, is a really, really remarkable kind of thing. There's a ton of innovation happening there. To sum it up, basically, in the same way that, like, 10 years ago, free to play became kind of a new model, right? With the core game, let's transition the game from being a single product to a service, and let's make the game itself sort of free to play with, you know, revenue coming from optional content, experiences, etc., or cosmetic content. I think that play to earn is like the next most kind of revolutionary thing since then. It will ultimately kind of change everything. A lot of the innovation is kind of happening on the indie level, right? It's that the bigger companies need to be more cautious um, because I think regulation right now, when it comes to crypto, blockchain, NFTs, et cetera, it's all just a massive gray area and they just can't take the risk to, you know, one one region's laws can really affect their, their global footprint. So I think the bigger companies are where giant epic scale can happen, and that's a lot of fun. Sure. But I think a lot of like really wild, crazy innovation can happen at smaller companies. On one hand, we have some big game studios, and big esports organizations. But on the other side, we actually have a handful of startups in, in blockchain gaming space and digital art space. One of them is called Screenshot Labs out of Paris, right? And they, they're in this burgeoning play-to-earn space. And it's been really exciting to see them start to take off. And Mike, maybe you can share a little bit more about the concept of like tokenomics
2: and things like that. It's so early in the process. And there's a couple uh, games that are kind of out at the front, the the top one being a game called Axie Infinity. So for anybody listening, I would say check out Axie Infinity as kind of being the leader in the space right now. But then uh, definitely check out Screenshot Labs because they're bringing some awesome innovation to it. And To support V's point around the tokenomics, I won't go too deep into this because we would need hours on this, but um, you know, it's building an ecosystem and the finances have to make sense and it has to work. And the value proposition has to make sense for the people who are investing their time and energy and resources into these games. And so there are documentaries about how life-changing Axie Infinity has been for individuals who live in the Philippines and other places where their ability to earn money doing the kind of work that they want to do is limited. And so being able to play this game has turned into a career. Wow! So now there are a couple dozen relevant play to earn games in the space, I would say. And there are games companies that are kind of clamoring to figure out what their place in all of this is. What it all comes back to is you have to make a fun game that people want to play.
0: So at the end of the day, no matter what media that you're in, it's all about connecting with those people that will consume your product, in this case, a digital product. And they're going to want to play. It's exciting. It's interesting. It stretches their ability. They they like the competitiveness of it. Whatever that is, it's got to come together and include elements from contemporary society in it.
1: Totally. And just kind of like, especially in the early days of building a business and brand and everything, like know who your core audience is, right? And figure out how you can like, You can super serve them. Don't shill something to your audience or your community at your brand that you wouldn't shill to your friends. And it really is that simple. It's like, what is the product I'm making? Do I believe in it? Am I actually adding value to sort of people's lives? Don't get in a space or an industry unless you really believe that there's something you can add to it and that you love.
0: In a nutshell, and you and Michael and Veranda, that's really the message that I think you would want to give to any budding entrepreneur is that think about what you're doing and how does that add value to people's lives.
1: Yeah, it it really is that simple. Because if you genuinely believe that you are adding something to people's day to day lives, like you don't need to like show them stuff or add like hardcore advertise to them, they will, you know, they'll evangelize and they'll kind of evangelize your friends. you know, I think that, like, the the geek content market, like comic book movies in particular, I think they really learned this lesson earlier than a lot of other industries. In the early 2000s, if you evangelize your core, right, like the people that are going to take this sure. most seriously and care about it, yeah. then you have to win them over early. And if you win them over early, they will evangelize you.
0: But that really comes to the core of what we're marketing in contemporary society, we're looking at a, a Gen Z. Let's get past millennials for a minute. I mean, this is yeah, the, yeah. Next, the next group that's coming up in terms of their spending power and how they will change our economy going forward are people that really do believe in, I'm not going to buy a product from a company that doesn't really align with my core. Yeah,
1: that 100%. And two, I think that um, Gen Z audiences more so than anyone, like, they're already thinking of like where they hold value is very different. They don't hold value in just physical goods. They hold kind of value in, in digital goods. Right. So um, you know, a lot of people will say that like a piece of like NFT art, it's the new, it's right. like the new Rolex or, or the new Lamborghini, right? It's like, that's your height you kind of digitally flaunt. Like a lot of my friends with kids will say, you can give a kid like the choice of like a $20 toy or whatever it might be. And they'd rather have the, you know, the $20 to spend on skins in, in Fortnite.
0: Right. Um, It's an expression of their digital identity. Yep. You know. Fascinating. It's very, very interesting. To sort of sum things up, I'm going to ask each of you um, two questions. One, encapsulate advice you would have for entrepreneurs looking to get into the digital space that we've been talking about. And two, what one word describes who you are? Miranda, why don't I let you start?
1: Awesome. So I think advice is a couple of things. Just one, just be willing to like go on a journey and learn because one of the things Mike and I tell any new potential client we're working with or partner or whatever is, do not listen to anybody that claims to be an expert on this field, on this whole digital sort of metaverse field. It's way too early for experts to exist. And if you're if you're seriously considering kind of building your expertise in the space, hire people that are passionate about it and, and, and genuinely kind of like lived in it. I think in terms of uh, a single word, wow, that's hard, but you know, I think curious would be probably curious or would, would be like the, the big one. I think that's, what's always kept me interested in sort of like what's next. You know what I mean? I think humans are amazing and like innovative and
2: wild. And I think that's humankind at its best, you know,
0: that's great. That's great. Michael?
2: Oh man, for the record, when you asked the questions I wrote down for the word, I wrote down curiosity. I'm going to have, I, I have a different <laughs> one. There. Whoa, crazy. Yeah. Um, okay. I wrote down two words actually, but to answer them in order, I guess the advice that I'd have for entrepreneurs entering into this digital world is to cultivate hands-on experience with the tools. So for example, if if you're working on marketing and you're looking to, cultivate community ahead of a product launch, get your hands-on Discord. Use it. Understand it. Maybe you don't want to live in there, but you need to have hands-on experience with it. If you're trying to understand blockchain, then have hands-on experience with crypto and DeFi, buy some, sell some, and have that experience. Too often, we are talking to other consultants or to executives who are really scratching their heads because they sat on the sidelines for too long, and uh, you just can't afford to do that right now with the rate that things are changing. And, um, sure. Okay. So for the one word I'd say it's in the same vein, but, um, seeker, Ah. I, I I think it's in a similar vein as, as being curious and curiosity, but to, to always be, you know, passion driven and, um, and curious and seeking out, finding out what one's truths are or at least allowing that to lead us in directions that are exciting for us that lead us to our interests and our passions
0: Uh, fantastic veranda michael thank you so much for taking the time and i think our listeners are going to get a lot out of this i really appreciate it as the virtual world evolves so should the words used to describe the various segments veranda and michael noted that the metaverse is used too narrowly while gaming is applied too widely. For example, gaming conjures up the image of first-person shooter games, yet it is applied to games like Roblox, a hybrid platform combining video game building and play with a social network. Additionally, the metaverse often describes a standalone virtual world. Yet as Veranda pointed out, there will be multiple metaverse colliding with in-real-life experiences. The metaverse will exist not just in the computer, it's not just on the screen, it's very much outside of that. And whether it's marketing in the real or virtual realms, the fundamentals are the same. Define your value proposition, target audience, budget, and goals for your brand. The metaverse represents a collision of worlds that will force brands to connect with consumers in real life and cross over into these rapidly expanding virtual frontiers. Increasingly, people don't want to be overtly marketed to. Instead, seamlessly make it part of their experience. So companies need to figure out authentic ways to express their brand via the right technology, combined with the right mix of cultural elements that connect with consumers. Veranda highlighted an essential marketing lesson in the age of social media, the power of evangelizing your core audience. If your product is generally built around adding value to people's lives, then they'll want to tell the world about it. Your base will spread the word with social media and is more powerful than traditional advertising. Whether that's in the gaming space or Tesla Motors, by winning over your base, you've created enthusiastic and committed evangelists for your company. What will the next generation of consumers value? It's likely very different. They're moving from owning just traditional physical assets to now include digital. We're already seeing digital asset values skyrocket in the market for NFT art. It becomes the new status symbol. People will flaunt the digital version of owning a Rolex or Lamborghini. We also discussed the growth in play to earn games and the subject of tokenomics, which describes the economics of a crypto token and its use in building micro economies. Michael noted a few games are leading in this segment. For example, in Axie Infinity, players can earn income from NFTs by breeding, battling and trading digital pets called Axies. Players can then swap their earnings for cryptocurrency, then exchange it for cash. Recent articles and documentaries highlight the game's positive economic impact. This example of microeconomy demonstrates how gameplay earnings in a virtual world affect real-world economics. As they both pointed out, the metaverse is in its infancy, and therefore place little credibility on self-professed experts. For entrepreneurs, if you're serious about getting into the virtual space, look for people that are passionate about it and genuinely immersed in it. Cultivate hands-on experience with the necessary tools. For example, try out Discord to cultivate community ahead of a product launch. In the same way, if you're trying to understand blockchain, well, buy and sell crypto. You can advance your experiential knowledge by immersing yourself in the various tools and technologies required. And finally, be curious, a seeker of what's new and innovative. Absorb your discoveries, challenge your assumptions, and continually revisit your vision for the real and virtual worlds. Thanks to Veranda and Michael for sharing their experiences and valuable insights. This podcast is executive produced by John Rebecca and New York Institute of Technology in conjunction with the School of Management and the Office of Strategic Communications and External Affairs. The Director of Professional Enrichment and producer of this podcast is Deborah Cohn. Our marketing and social media strategist is Petra Shantaraga. Our audio editor and mixer is Brian Falk from Abacus Entertainment. Special thanks to Constance Talatia and Paulana Lamineer for all their support. Until next time.